Uh, let's stand together at this time as we reverence a reading of God's Word. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. We're in a series called God's Wisdom for Our Life. And today, peaceful or perverse. Peaceful or perverse. Proverbs 3.17. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. Proverbs 3.31. Do not envy the oppressor. And choose none of his ways, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. And may God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, we began looking at a uh, part of this uh, passage that dealt with happiness. In fact, you might remember, probably don't, but you could possibly remember that I call the message happy, happy, happy. I just add one happy to the two happies that are there. Uh, Verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. She's a tree of life, again, to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Uh, So God, who is, as a general rule, much more concerned with our holiness than with our happiness, uh, yet... He does have something to say about our happiness. And in fact, we find out that there's actually a connection to be made between happiness and holiness. And uh, God would mention several things then through uh, Solomon that uh, would result in happiness that come to us. And and he uh, begins to progress then, as he so often does. Uh, in the book to contrast the way of wisdom with the way of the wicked. And in this case, he mentions the people called the perverse, the perverse. If you have a King James version, it was froward, froward, not forward, froward. Fro was built, uh, froward was built upon an implement, a tool known as a fro, which was used for the splitting of wood and so forth. Uh, And that's how that old English word got in there. Uh, The word perverse then refers to a contentious, divisive, hateful, violent, and cruel person. And how that these tendencies and characteristics tend to show up in the lives of those who reject God's wisdom and who live their life apart from God. I've often thought of how life seems to have so many more critics than encouragers. I've often thought of how so many more people are locked into a life of complaining than those who seem to be enjoying their way in life. So many more bitter people than blessed people. I could go on and on with that, but we all know that to these things to be true. It is a simple tribute to how many people choose a life of folly over a life of faith. Remember, Jesus said it best, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Many are on a broad way to destruction, rejecting the wisdom of God, rejecting the truth of God, giving no heed to the whole concept of faith. This reminds us then that God's wisdom will show us the path that we need to take. But it does not drag us along that path or force us to choose it. 
In this case, the choice that's put before us is very easily identified as a path of peace or a path of perversity. Uh, now, we've already viewed uh, a little bit or talked a little bit. I just kind of introduced these concepts that he presented in the first part of this chapter and told you that we'd return to them. Uh, the, uh, one of the things that makes us happy is a concept or a sense of peace in our life. Uh, but it is important for us to remind ourselves about the many wonderful things the Word of God says about peace and how it extols the importance of peace. Now, if you're thinking today that uh, there's some connection between me preaching about peace and us having our annual budget meeting tonight, there's no connection. There's really not. I will say very quickly, though, there is never an inappropriate time to warn people and encourage people to be at peace among themselves. I mean, this is all over the New Testament. It's very, very important. Uh, we've already uh, spent some of this, but remember, uh, the Bible talks about the peace of God. Remember how Paul encouraged the church at Philippi to take their worries, uh, their burdens to God, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through our Lord Jesus Christ, the peace of God. Uh, we're pretty familiar with that one, but uh, we might not be as familiar with the fact that he turned that around at least five times in the New Testament to speak of the God of peace. Not the peace of God, but the God of peace. Romans 16 and 20, and the God of peace. I love this passage. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. <laughs> what a great promise. The God of peace. In addition, then, we see that the whole subject of peace and living at peace comes to us as direct commands from the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. Folks, these are just a smidgen, just a small portion. I could have brought up dozens and dozens of passages that speak to us about how that believers are to be at peace, how to, we are to seek peace, how that we are to be peacemakers, not peace takers or peace breakers, that's hard for me to say, uh, but we are to be peacemakers. Paul found it necessary to remind the church at Corinth, yes, even the church, uh, that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Oh, what a great reminder that is. And he would teach the young church at Thessalonica about their attitude toward their pastors and each other. When he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12, We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, that is, instruct you or teach you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Rolled all into one then, they were taught to esteem their pastors, their spiritual leaders highly. Uh, not because they're all that special, but because the work they do is special. 
the proclamation and teaching of the Word of God is valuable. And when people go without it for a long period of time, it's not a good thing. This may be the first sermon that you've heard in a long time. I hope it won't be your last in a long time. Preaching is available today at an unprecedented level. We need it. We need it or God wouldn't have given it to us when called men to do it. But then he gives us that amazing instruction. Be at peace among yourselves. One of the most important things that any church can do for their pastor is get along. <laughs> Just get along. Uh, don't pull your pastors apart. Uh, get along. We've got instructions all over the scriptures about this. About how we're to live in peace. To seek peace and make peace. But not only in our churches, folk, we need peace in our homes and in our families. There's way, way too many Christian homes and Christian families being torn apart by turmoil these days. For there's no peace, no peace at all. For all the ones that end up in divorce, only God knows the numbers who have settled down to live in a state of perpetual conflict and strife. Mental health practitioners are carrying caseloads that indicate to us that people cannot find peace. One of the most important places we need peace at is in our minds and in our hearts. Peace of mind. Peace in our heart. Medical prescriptions for anxiety, medications of all kinds indicate that a whole lot of people are having trouble finding peace. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because then there's all those people who are self-medicating. Many just to find enough peace to where they could lay down and go to sleep at night. Clear the mechanism. Have a little comfort. A little peace. Meanwhile, the Bible still says the same thing it's always said. <laughs> At least ever since it was written, Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. First three. Love, joy, and peace. Make no mistake this morning, folk, it takes the power of God for us to live at peace. And the good news is, is that we have that power of God available to us. But the works of the flesh are also listed in Galatians chapter 5. I didn't put that in the PowerPoint. But among which are things like hatred, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, confusion. James says there's every evil work where envy and strife is. The flesh is full of things that disturb the peace. But there's the fruit of the Spirit, the power of God that's available to us to enable us to enjoy that peace of God. From the God of peace. In our text in Proverbs 3 then. We have the marvelous reminder. That we can by God's wisdom. Enjoy enough peace. So that verse 24. When you lie down. You will not be afraid. Yes you will lie down. And your sleep will be sweet. What a promise. What a promise. I really do wish at this stage in my life that that passage would have gone ahead and said that uh, your sleep will be sleep for sweet for eight hours, you know. 
In fact, I'd, I'd settle for six at this stage in life. I mean, I'm getting about two-hour naps at a time these days. It never uh, doesn't seem to get any better. But what I get is sweet, I can tell you, and enjoy the, the peace. Just being able to lay down and go to sleep. Uh, you might be looking at me kind of funny this morning, especially some of you teenagers. But if you are one of those people that knows what it's like, to have a heart so full of turmoil and a mind so full of turmoil that you cannot lay down at night and go to sleep. You know what I'm talking about. And so God promises us through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And he promises us specifically in Proverbs chapter 3 that we can put some things into practice. There's a way that we can live our life and conduct our life in accordance with the wisdom of God. And one of the benefits of that is that our sleep will be sweet. So I'm going to talk about some things. If you look quickly down in the passage, if you're following along in Scripture today, uh, you'll see that there's a whole lot of things that he describes that begin with the word don't. Don't. Don't do this. And so uh, a whole lot of what we do to stay on the path of peace involves things that we don't do. But by implication, then, things that we do. If we don't do this, we are doing this. It's all in the text. So verse 25, he speaks in of our practice. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The concept of fear in this passage speaks of that overwhelming, paralyzing state of fear that settles on us because of two things. Uh, sudden terror and trouble from the wicked, two things that often go together, but not always. We know about terroristic attacks and terroristic threatening, and we certainly know about trouble from the wicked. Uh, but in the midst of these things, this sudden terror that comes upon us from whatever source, the writer describes a person who can keep their head, keep his or her head, for one specific reason, because God is my confidence and my protector. So while everything is blowing up around us, we can be a person who keeps, our, keeps it all together. Why? Because I can count on God. I don't allow myself then to be paralyzed by fear. I count on God. See, fear can become a lifestyle to us. And a lot of people live in a state of constant fear. And sometimes that constant fear shows itself then as a person who, who seems to be divisive and, and can't get along with anybody. But the root cause of it all is that they live in complete fear and terror. They're afraid of everybody and everything. They're afraid that somebody's out to get them or somebody's going to take something that belongs to them. And they're so then paralyzed by this fear and live in this fear that it comes across as being very divisive. And yes, it can be very dangerous. Very dangerous. I remember something my dad told me many years ago when I was just a young man, a, a kid trying to grow up and find my way in the world. And, and, uh, he warned me one time. He said, you know, son, it's not, it's not the bully, uh, the big uh, bragging person that you have to really be concerned about. He said, it's that person who's afraid. So somebody that's big and strong and boisterous and a bully, uh, they, might, they might push you around a little bit. But he said, somebody that's afraid might kill you. It can be dangerous. 
being afraid and living in that state of fear. So the writer then tells us the first way that we enjoy God's peace is to accept the quiet confidence that comes from knowing that our lives are in the hand of Almighty God. God is my confidence. God is my protector. And yes, uh, when this lifetime and this life comes to a close, I know that I'll be going to see him and be with him for all eternity. So don't be afraid of, of sudden terror. Don't let that fear take over your life and settle down in it. Second thing, not, he talks about our practice, then he talks about our payments. Verse 27, what an incredible passage this is. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. And I almost said about this passage, uh, uh, do not be passive aggressive. <laughs> that would be, because these kind of things are, are just classic, classic ways that passive aggressiveness shows up. Uh, it is uh, with holding good from someone. When you know that you ought to do it, and, and you do it then in order to manipulate them, and, or you, you have the money to pay somebody, but you don't do it. And there's no good reason not to, but it's just, uh, just one of those passive-aggressive kind of moves that people get into sometimes. Oh, but it creates bitterness between people, and especially within our closest relationships. Many marriages are on the rocks right now because one or both parties, and usually both, refuses to do what they know is a good thing for them to do. A lot of times it won't cost anything. Maybe it won't take, a, but just a little time. It's all it takes. It's a good thing. Something good that I could do for my spouse. And we withhold it. Oh, I'm going to. Oh, I know, I know they want that. I know they needed it. Something good for me to do. But no, I'm going to. I've got to get something out of it first. That kind of manipulation, it's all uh, settles into us. Don't withhold good then from those to whom it is due. Families can be torn apart by this because a spirit of contention then settles in from someone or a lot of someone's ignoring this simple instruction. Don't withhold good from someone that is due. And if you owe somebody, if, that, if there's a financial aspect of it, what is good then needs to be something that's paid. Then pay it. Pay it. Next, verse 29 is our plotting. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Now, here in the United States of America, we don't choose a neighborhood thinking about, well, this would be a place where we could easily defend ourselves against an invasion. We can circle our wagons up real quick, you know, and... We don't, we don't think about that here, but there are parts of the world where that was still happening. And when this passage was being written, that was very much their practice. They lived close together for a reason, where they could watch out for each other. And in case of attack, then, they could pool their resources and defend themselves more easily. And so within that setting, it was vital that they know their neighbors and get along with them. No, we're not so far removed from that that we can't understand the wisdom of that. And certainly we can all see this morning how it's a lot better to get along with that person that lives next door to you 
than it is to be in a constant state of turmoil. After all, neighbors live really close, and we may live really close for a really, really long time. And it's better to get along with them. Don't plot evil against them. Do not devise evil against your neighbor. Then the next one, I call due process. Do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. I caused it that for a reason. There's a legal doctrine known as standing, which is that if you're going to basically in my unlawly, I can't even say that one, in my non-legal kind of way of thinking, if I understand the principle correctly, standing means that you have to be able to demonstrate that something has happened to you if you're going to take somebody to court and, and win uh, a judgment against them, uh, there has to be standing. Something had to have happened that has happened to you specifically. And this passage says in verse 30, don't strive with a man without cause. If he's done you no harm. Don't pick a fight with somebody for no reason. Does that sound like good advice? Yes. <laughs> But it's a lot more than good advice. That's straight from the mouth of God. Don't go around picking fights with people all the time when we don't have to. Everything is not worth arguing about. If it hasn't done us any harm, just move on. Move on. And then our personality. Verse 31 says, do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. When you see that word abomination in Scripture, you're seeing something that causes or invokes divine disgust. Divine disgust. Something that is an abomination to the Lord. And that is that perversive person who is constantly then complaining, constantly stirring up strife, constantly causing a threat of violence and an eruption, an outburst of violence. Isaiah echoes the warning of this passage, which is also quoted in the book of Romans, by the way, in Isaiah chapter 59, where he describes those who are uh, working works of iniquity and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their past. The way of peace they have not known and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know Peace. Please notice that Isaiah also contrasted the path of peace with the path of perversity. You can go this way or you can go this way. But we see a warning here because there's something about contentious and divisive behavior that is contagious. And when we're immersed in a culture that has it, when we're surrounded by people who have it, it is hard for us not to become contentious, divisive people. 
That's why God warned the prophet Ezekiel when he sent him to preach to his people. They were hard-headed and they were rebellious. And he said to Ezekiel, don't be like them. Why? Because it's hard to be around hard-headed and divisive and rebellious people all the time without becoming hard-headed, divisive, and rebellious. It's contagious. We pick it up. Almost in self-defense, we think. Not only that, but divisive people can be very persuasive because he also warns about their ways and how they would start us down a path that will then get into our hearts and minds. Uh, He goes on in verse 33 and says, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of of fools. Whether we realize it today or not, we are living in a world of turmoil that is constantly, constantly out to recruit us to a cause. Constantly. You young people who are home for Christmas holidays are about in a few days to go back to the college campuses. And there on the college campus, there are recruiters all around you. All around you, trying to recruit you to a cause. It's not anything new. It's always been this way. Remember, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. We had quite a bit of turmoil back in those times. And a lot of people trying to recruit us to causes. Uh, But it's not going away. And in fact, it's getting worse. Because, uh, listen, you, you don't even have to leave your living room anymore to get caught up in a battle or a battleground. Or to get pulled into a cause. And so we watch with growing unease though. The rise and the spread of things. And how quickly things can progress in our world. I have to admit that even though I saw it in scripture. It's one thing to read it on the pages of scripture. It's another thing to see it play out. And to see the rise of anti-Semitism that is spreading around our country today. I, I really, I've been surprised somewhat by that. And I shouldn't have been. Uh, maybe I was just surprised with the speed of it and the, the, the rapid nature that it has advanced. But my, my. We've seen incredible atrocities and injustices committed, by the way, in the name of justice. Thousands and even millions of people recruited into the calls. These are divisive people, contentious people. They've got a cause. They've got something, something that has happened, something they're campaigning against. And they want us to get involved. Remember then that God says that the perverse people, people who are out to do these kind of things... Are the objects of divine disgust. It's further then identified as the curse of the Lord being upon them. And his scorn is upon them. While God gives grace and glory and blesses those who follow his wisdom. And seek the path of peace. Blessed, Jesus said, are the peacemakers. It's a choice, folks, that. We're all going to have to make, and we all are making. 
The choice from being drawn into this growing perverseness in all of its forms as our culture is divided and the divide is growing deeper and wider and more and more violent. In this world, there's a need for peacemakers. And if God's people don't do it, please tell me, who will? Who is there besides us? With the fruit of the Spirit, who is there besides us to make peace? And I, I know it's a, it's a tough message to hear. It's a tough message for me to preach. You don't find a lot of monuments down through the pages of history to, to pacifists. Uh, not a lot of medals given out. There's at least one, I, I've seen that movie, Hacksaw Ridge, at least one medal given to a conscientious objector. But, and, and, and don't get me wrong this morning, I'm not, I'm not preaching against military service, I'm not preaching against any of those things, that's not there. I'm just reminding us of the importance of being a people who make peace, who seek peace and pursue it, who follow after peace, who seek peace with all men. And all of these are biblical commands. And we have in our great text today then the promise that not only, not only will God be with us and bless us for it, but it's a part of what helps us to live happy lives. How many of us, given a choice, would choose to live in a house full of turmoil and strife and drama? As opposed to a house of peace. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of us are choosing to live in a house of turmoil and strife and drama because we're not doing anything to fix it. But oh, what great passages we have before us. It's a great place to start. To just do good to those that you owe good. Just do good. Do what you know is right. It's that time of the year then when we think about the future and I can think of few things that could have such a lasting impact as seeing God's people make a commitment. I'm not interested in a resolution. I'm talking about a commitment to being a people of peace. People who aren't shaken in the face of terror, but they remain calm. People who do good when they can. People who pay what they owe. People who don't pick fights. People who get along with their neighbors and they don't get caught up in everybody's causes. Instead, we've become a people who have marriages where we get along, families full of peace, children who are respectful. What a concept. And so we could make a commitment today that we're going to live out what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. And just listen. I don't have this on the PowerPoint. I want you to listen. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind 
one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. (laughs) Oh, what a challenge to put before us all for a new year. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's stand together, please.